Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Matt Slater, and welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Now, coming up today, we'll be reacting to the news that Gary Hoffman has announced he is resigning as chairman of the Premier League after just 18 months in the job. He will step down at the end of January 2022. The Athletic revealed on Tuesday that Hoffman was leaving and it followed David Ornstein's story last month that some Premier League clubs wanted Hoffman to leave his position with the Premier League. We are joined by Simon Johnson, currently chair of the Rugby Football League. He spent five years as chief operating officer at the English Football Association and was director of legal and business affairs at the Premier League before that. Also with us is Alex Horne, former chief executive of the English FA for five years who oversaw the financing, completion and opening of both Wembley Stadium and the National Football Centre. Okay, so thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, Let's start with a nice gentle one. Simon, what actually is a a chairman and how do they work? A chairman is somebody who is, in the simple terms, is there to chair a board or chair a, 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 a company or a group of shareholders. But it goes much further than that. And I think the thing you have to remember is the distinction between a chair and a chief executive. So a chair is part time, what we call non-executive. That means they're only working within the business for it could be a couple of days a week. It could be a few days a month, but they're not there all the time. And their responsibility is to manage and oversee the executive team, to represent the views of the shareholders or stakeholders to the executive team, and to deal with issues and to make sure that the interests of the shareholders are always being looked after. I'm chair of two businesses. One is a sport, rugby league, and the other is a private business. And actually, there is a distinction between the two roles because when you're the chair of a private company, it's all about the executive team. The chairman is a very low, the chair is a low key role. They're behind the scenes. They chair the meetings, they manage the staff, they represent the shareholders, and occasionally they'll be wheeled out to help to secure a deal or to maintain a relationship. They very rarely have a public role. It's very different in the case of a sport because the chair there, as well as doing all of those things, is also expected to have a more public role. They might speak to the media, they might have their name on press releases, they might be expected to interact with and engage with fans. So there is a slight difference. And the Premier League as a company, for example, probably sits in between the two because it is a private company, but it's also a sport. And it's got particular issues that we might get into, but that's essentially what a chair is uh, and how it works within a sports organisation. Simon, could you also just expand on a specific skill set that a good sporting chair would need and then also how you find these people, how you recruit them? The skill sets will largely differ, but there will be similar 
uh, criteria applying to everybody. In a sport, you have to be able to deal with difficult, complex shareholders or stakeholder groups. There are lots and lots of stakeholders in a sport, from participants to administrators to members like clubs or counties or associations to fans and to the media. And being able to manage and control all of those interests is, is, is a real challenge. I think good chairs have to be quite deft politically with a small P and with a big P. They have to be able, I think, to uh, represent their sport publicly uh, and they have to be good ambassadors. That's as well as being able to manage a team, uh, manage the chief executive and make the decisions on you know, how the, the executive team is performing. And there are plenty of people with good backgrounds who, who have that. If you look at the backgrounds of the people who are chairs of sports organizations, there's people like me who have been, who've worked within sport and within business before and can combine those two things. There are people who've only worked in business. There are people who, there are people who've worked within business, but have dealt with the sports organization. So to take, for example, someone like Gary Hoffman, Gary was a very successful businessman in the financial field, but as part of that, he had worked with the Premier League and was known by many of the clubs. He certainly uh, possessed all of those characteristics that people would be looking for. So sports will tend now to have their chair as somebody independent, and they will tend to find that person by a recruitment process that will involve advertising and a wide search. Well, as you say, and you know, sometimes it, this will all get lost in the wash now. But Gary Hoffman came with a with a wonderful CV. You know, Northern Rock, Barclays. Barclays, of course, was a big sponsor of the Premier League, Coventry Building Society, big sponsor now of Coventry. He'd made bids for Coventry. He knew the game. He's a he's a he's a football fan. He had a great pedigree. But anyway, look, thanks, Simon. You've I think explained nicely what a chair is, how you find them, the skills they have. You also mentioned some wonderful FA language, stakeholders, Alex. How many times have you and I talked about stakeholders and managing stakeholders? So look, would I be would it be right in thinking that that you were sort of a CEO figure at the FA? Yes, definitely. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they were calling you that at the time, were they? No. So they they changed the language to general secretary, and that is not uncommon in European parlance. And the the FIFA and UEFA lead executives will typically be general secretaries. And if you remember the circumstances, it was around the time after David Treisman left somewhat abruptly, and we were in the middle of our 2018 World Cup bid. I do remember. Which, um, <laughs> Simon knows. <laughs> better than I do. Uh, and one of the one of the things the board decided was that there was a degree of pomposity to being, it was only the English National Associations who had chief executives. Everyone else was general secretary. So they said general secretary, but the reality was the role was full-blown chief executive. I think just to pick up on a couple of things Simon said, from my perspective, it's quite a fluid relationship. But the important thing is to understand who's responsible for what and make sure there are no gaps. There cannot be any gaps between the chair and the chief exec for all the reasons that Simon said, because between them, they have to manage that entire agenda, all the stakeholders, the external people who are interested in the game, uh, in, in, the, in the business, whether that's the league or indeed a club or the National Association. There are many people who are interested in the goings on. And then there's all the, the staff and the activities and both chair and chief exec and indeed other you know board members and senior exec can play a lead role in that. When Simon and I worked together at the FA with, at the time, Brian Barwick and Jeff Thompson, we had the situation where Jeff was very token chair with limited responsibility and capability. And he was chairing 
council meetings and he would chair the board, but he didn't have the capability to run a three, four hundred million pound turn of a business, manage the assets, build out Wembley Stadium, build out St. George's Park. So he would take support from the exec. And that's, you know, largely where Brian Simon and I acted as an important triumvirate. And then we brought in important people to pick up specific areas of expertise like Trevor Brooking at the time. So the strength and balance is in getting the right exec in roles to do the job, the right support from the board with the independents being able to balance the views of the stakeholders. But the linchpin, the critical uh, junction is between the chairman and chief execs. That's what holds the whole thing together. I thought you'd say that, and I'm glad you did, because (laughs) it is, of course, called the FA Premier League. And whilst you worked for the FA, not the Premier League, what is your understanding of that relationship at the Premier League between chair chief exec at the Premier League? I'll be honest, Matt, my experience was five or six years ago when we were talking Richard Scudamore and Sir David Richards. And in that relationship, there was a very clear uh, split of responsibilities where Richard was, you know, he was entitled executive chairman for a reason. Dave's role, Sir Dave's role was very much around the stakeholder management. And that meant some of the club relationships but it meant FIFA, UEFA, the, the European leagues uh, and, and FA roles. It was actively busy in managing those elements of the stakeholders. And Richard took the primary responsibility for managing both the clubs and obviously the commercial uh, business of, of the, the Premier League. I, I, since then, it's moved around a bit. So I don't know whether, Simon, you have a better view of the relationship between Richard and Gary. Well, I don't, but I think it's worth just just I think talking a little bit about the Premier League itself and how it's structured because it's slightly different to many organisations. It has a board, which is a small board, which is given powers under the rule book to take decisions of a regulatory nature. And, and, And lots of those decisions are taken out of the hands of the 20 member clubs who are the shareholders to avoid conflicts of interest. So the board is able to take a lot of regulatory decisions and the board is clearly the domain, although there's a chair, that, that's really run by the, uh, by the chief executive or the, uh, you know, the, the senior executive. What you then have, however, is, is the, the actual group of the 20 shareholders. And quite a lot of the big commercial decisions are taken by those 20 shareholders. The structure the decision-making structure is actually set up so that no decision can be passed without 14 clubs of those 20 passing it. Now, that either enables decision-making or it entrenches opposition, depending on what the issue is. Now, the fascinating thing about the 20 clubs is that the only thing that they have in common is that they happen to be playing in the Premier League in that particular season. Beyond that, they compete with each other on the pitch, They would say that they compete with each other in the transfer market for the best players. Uh, They compete with each other, perhaps for coaches. Perhaps if you've got more than one club in the same city, they might argue that they're competing with each other for commercial revenue, ticketing, etc. Sponsors, shirt suppliers, you name it. Now, because of that, as a group, they are quite good at agreeing collective matters that benefit them all. So a television deal, and of course, they do very well with raising their television revenues, a sponsorship deal that benefits them all. Where they are not so good and where the tensions come in is when there is perceived to be an issue that benefits or disadvantages either one club or one group of clubs. 
And then the, the, the conflicts break out. And that's where a strong chair can help. I mean, as it happens, I think Richard Scudamore was a strong chief executive and he would do a lot of management yeah. of those. And if there was a difficult issue, he wouldn't put it to a vote. He would take it back and try and get it resolved. My sense, although I don't have personal knowledge, is that in this relationship, I think the chair will manage much more the, the club-related issues that come to them as shareholders, and that perhaps that's where some of the tension has arisen uh, over the Newcastle United issue. I got it. That does make sense, and it is, it's, it's what I'm hearing. I just want to ask both of you, because you, you know, we've, we've both, you've both mentioned him, Richard Scudamore. So he was there for a very long time, and that you know makes succession difficult when someone has has done a good job for a very long time. And a lot of this that we've been talking about with the Premier League does sort of appear to have happened in this kind of succession phase, really. I mean, you guys work with him. Why was he so effective? What made him good? Alex, you want to have a go? I think what made him, what made him a really strong character was probably partly experience, but also sort of, I'd say, consistency. One of the key things that we haven't really delved into we, we could be here for hours really is not only have you got the conflicts we talk about within the league but you've then got potential conflicts every day between say the football league and the premier league the fa and the premier league and where in a, in a very very good working relationship andy williamson richard scudamore and i would sit down every every two weeks and have a 45 minute to an hour long meeting and just and tidy some stuff up and there were one or two, you know, tanks on the lawn situation in terms of, you know, why are the FA doing this or why are the Football League doing this or why are the Premier League doing this? It's not your responsibility. But quite often it would be a fairly straightforward conversation. So something new comes up and it's like, you know what, it's overlapping in the rule books. Like, you know, as long as you do it, it keeps up to speed. That That's fine. And so I found him incredibly professional, straightforward and consistent. As Simon alluded to, I think he was a really good diplomat. He was obviously an, a very strong commercial operator, but he was a really good diplomat when it came to getting things through the clubs. There was, I don't, I, I, and I sat in all of the Premier League shareholder meetings for about the last seven years of my my role as COO and then CEO. I could probably remember one or two votes that ever failed. Stuff just doesn't go to a vote if the work hasn't been done ahead of the meeting. Richard had built up a lot of trust because he'd done outstanding commercial deals. And, and therefore, the clubs would, would, they gave him a lot of rope and, and, and allowed him to run with, with quite a high degree of autonomy. He was very, very good on their behalf about protecting the interests of the Premier League. He was very combative in that respect. Um, and as a result, I think the clubs built up a high degree of trust. Uh, and he, I think, had their temperature. He knew, he tended, he, he knew where an issue would create a, a problem at club level and he would try and resolve it before it became an issue. And on the few occasions when I was there where a matter got onto the floor of the meeting and there was clearly going to be a row and it wouldn't be resolved, in the majority of cases, not all of them, Richard would take it back and try and bring it again back to another meeting. I don't know how that works. And, and, and it's certainly true now that there is a different ownership structure of many of the clubs. Many of the clubs are owned by overseas institutions or overseas-based wealthy high net worth individuals. Some of them come from other sporting environments and are used to other ways of working. And I think that brings a different type of pressure because they are not a homogenous group. And as, as time goes on, 
they are becoming less and less homogenous. And therefore, the need for very skillful management of that group at all times becomes higher and higher. I think that brings us really nicely, actually, Simon, to my, to my last point, really, with you guys. And that that is this sense that I've been picking up, that this job, these jobs, really, because we have mentioned the other Richard, and that's Richard Masters, who is who is the current chief exec, that, that their jobs have got really hard. I mean, some of it is just luck and events, right? So, you know, the pandemic, some of it, I guess, is sort of the Super League stuff that comes round every few years, and it's just, it's just you know, come round again at this time whilst we're talking about the pandemic too. Newcastle, I think, would have been a challenge. It, it, it poses deep philosophical challenges. You know, who knows how Richard Scudamore would have dealt with that. But just there's a lot going on. And, and, and Simon, as you've said, the ownership group, at the, the ownership groups in the clubs, different people, different expectations. Is this job just becoming impossible? No, I don't think so. I mean, if you take any one of those issues, I, I guess, again, where you could where you could improve, I suspect, is this transparency and, and clear accountability. I, I couldn't tell you who in that structure that Simon described between the, uh, the clubs and the board and the executive who made that decision vis-a-vis Newcastle. I could probably recall just about what the director and owner's rules are, but they're not particularly public. And I suspect, whether you like it or not, the reality is that PIF met the rules, but the, there's nobody explaining that there's nobody fronting it up. You can't tell who made that decision. There's no transparency around any uh, investigatory work that went on, any you know background checking, and so on and so on. Now, it doesn't it doesn't have to be public, but there are any number of examples. And, and Simon alluded to this discrepancy earlier, or, or this 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 distinct difference. You know, in limited company life, there's lo- little, little scrutiny. In PLC life, there's more scrutiny. In sporting life dare I say, Yorkshire County Cricket Club, there is incredible scrutiny and a misstep quite quickly snowballs. It wouldn't have been difficult with hindsight and and easy to say with hindsight to go back to there are the rules and they've met them for the following reasons. And this individual, this group, this they made a decision, a piece of work was commissioned from ABC experts and that's the decision we've come to. But the way it was kind of then, you know, leaked out, it was suddenly on this newspaper and this new social media, the clubs didn't know, the, the, the fans of Newcastle didn't know, you know, badly handled. And I, and I, I don't think there's any excuse for that, really. I, I don't know, I'm not blaming anyone, but that isn't difficult to fix. And I think any any one of these issues that they've got the resources and the brain power and the horse, you know, the horsepower to manage them. They just need clear accountability. Do you agree, Simon? I do agree. I mean, to answer your question, is the job impossible? Certainly not. It's hard, but you know, people are people are well paid to do it. I think that there has to be clarity on roles and responsibilities. And going back to our initial comments about the responsibility between the executive and the chair. I suspect that in this case of Newcastle, the rules were pretty clear as to whether it would go through or not. And and what probably wasn't clear was that the clubs were not given, do not appear to have been given that impression that it was clear or or otherwise. That, I believe, as, as Alex said, comes down to communication and transparency and the fact that that you need to be able where where if you've got the temperature of an issue that is going to be controversial that you are able to communicate it, not just within the group, but more broadly. And Alex has quite rightly raised the the Yorkshire cricket issue. 
I was just talking about that this morning. That is an issue that involved one county in the, its football equivalent would be a club. And yet you saw yesterday uh, that the governing body was also in parliament. So you had the current, you had the chair, you had executives, you had the old chair, the new chair, you had the governing body. And actually there are certain issues where because the impact may be broader than the individual body or because there may be a gap in the rules, it does require the, all the bodies within the, within the sport to work closely together. And you can therefore see that if you get a big issue that, that has a high degree of public interest, that's the case where actually the chair probably has to play a greater role than they would normally do, simply because, as both Alex and I have said, this is a sport and it's very heavily scrutinised, not just by the public, by the media, but actually on issues like this, it's scrutinised by politicians, by parliament and by government. And so none of that makes this as an impossible job. I mean, there are many people who get very excited by managing these challenges, but it does require a great deal of political dexterity and a great deal of, of, of awareness of public interest and how things might land when it leaves your table and goes out into the outside world. Indeed. Well, look, that's a great place to leave it. Thanks very much for your time, chaps. Given us plenty to chew over there. I wish you well with your impossible jobs. Oh, <laughs> not possible. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Next up, we'll hear what it's like to be inside meetings between the executives and chairs like Gary Hoffman at the Premier League and the chief execs of the Premier League clubs. Keith Wyness is a former chief executive of Premier League sides Aston Villa and Everton, and he's with us now. 
Well, thanks so much for joining us, Keith. We've been talking uh, with, with, with Simon Johnson and Alex Horn about Chief Exec and chairs and how it kind of works and how you find these people. You sat in on these meetings, these shareholders meetings, you know, when you were at Everton and, and, and Aston Villa. What did you expect and want from a Premier League chair? The main thing we wanted was for them to be a good sounding board that could take the temperature of across the whole league and do it in a very discreet, behind-the-scenes way. That was the most important thing. I think it was very difficult for a chief executive who has operational responsibility to be able to do that. So they were the ones that had to understand the difference between the black and the white and the colours of grey and the shades of grey that were there. Also, I would have wanted the, the chairman to be a sounding board to government, to other areas as well, and to try, you know, if there were other parties involved in particular issues, I wanted him to be uh, to be able to be out there and protect the clubs to a degree from any direct involvement. He's a very important middleman in terms of uh, issues as they crop up. Gary Hoffman's gone. He has officially gone now. We're recording this on Wednesday. We have been aware that this was coming for a few weeks. And whilst it's not the only issue, the Newcastle United takeover saga, I think, was the, was the last straw for him and some of the clubs. I know it's difficult for you to say now because you're not at one of the clubs right now, and this this hasn't been your issue. But if you could put your Villa or Everton hat back on, what would you have been wanting to hear from Premier League HQ during this process? What would you have expected to hear? I think I would have just wanted them to uh, to be governing things appropriately and to protect the Premier League from particular lawsuits. That's what I'd have been worried about. You know, I think there are still a lot of issues around this in terms of uh, operating as cartels and all sorts of things that seem to be looking at from the outside. I'd have wanted them to protect the league and to adhere to the, the policies and the laws and to precedents that have been set in the past from other new owners coming in. Would you have expected much input in the sort of final yay-nay decision? No, the Premier League isn't like the NFL when the owners all get together and decide who they're going to invite into the club. Uh, now, if it wants to go that way, it's a different thing. But at the moment, it isn't like that. And there is there, you know, the potential here, which I've had in my time, is the conflict between the top group of clubs and the rest. And it seems, once again, we've got that situation. And it is the chairman's responsibility to try and handle that conflict between the little power group at the top and, and the rest. And so much of this comes down to the chairman's personality. And it really is crucial. Uh, I mean, you know, Scudamore had a, a larger-than-life personality and was able to face up to the uh, the pressures that were put upon him. Uh, I can't say, obviously, because I haven't dealt in terms of the recent things, but it's a big pressure from those clubs that they exert and somebody's got to really be able to stand up to them. Let's find a real-life example then from your time. You know, a big contentious issue that got us all talking, got people like me moaning and asking annoying questions. 39th game, right? That was probably one of the big issues that Scudamore faced and I think you were very involved it was it was a, it was a big one it was like the Super League of its time and uh, I had supported Scudamore in the 39th game and then he turned did a U-turn and uh, dropped us in it and decided to uh, to go away from it but look, I, I still could see there that uh, why he did it it was important though that if somebody's going to float ideas and to to go forward that they do take a consensus of the league behind them. And that's what a chairman should be doing, as I said at the start, taking a temperature and knowing that there's support within the league and making sure that big decisions are going to be taken, that they're, they're going to be able to have a plan to actually announce them properly. Just looking from the outside in, 
as you are now, is it, is it entirely clear to you what Gary Hoffman was doing, what his responsibilities were, what he was good at, and what Richard Masters, the chief exec, was doing and what he was good at? Do you have a firm handle on that? No, I don't. Looking at it from the outside, I don't. I mean, again, I mentioned personality being absolutely crucial. And I've been in situations where there's been a very strong chief executive, or I've had to be a strong chief executive with a, a weak or retiring chairman. And other times when there's been a strong chairman and you've got to be much quieter as a chief executive. I didn't see the two of them being, either of them being particularly strong in terms of the public persona and the way that they presented cases to the public. In Richard's case, obviously he's gaining with experience and I think he's doing a great job. But uh, normally one of the other ones has to play good cop, bad cop or whatever. And I didn't see that double act forming together very well. In defence, right, they've had quite a lot on their plate, the pandemic, Super League, big picture. There's been, you know, and then of course Newcastle, there's been, there's been a fair amount to deal with. Would you, though, have expected them almost to sort of kind of do that dove- dovetail, that good cop, bad cop thing? Yeah, I think I would have. And you're quite right. Look, it's been, but then again, the Premier League's never quiet. I mean, you know, it's, there's always something happening. It's, that's, we all know that. And I think they've done a great job. And I'm surprised that Gary's gone. I think it was actually starting to form that partnership that I was talking about. And that could have come in time because it does take time to get through some big upsets to actually forge that partnership together. And maybe that was coming now after COVID, as you say, after Super League and Newcastle. I mean, perhaps that was the making of a whole great new partnership in an era. And uh, I didn't really think it was a need for him to resign. But this is all about potentially the politics of those 20 shareholders. So Keith, one of the things that often comes up from fans when, when I, whenever I talk about this stuff or write about this stuff, they do sort of say, well, how do these meetings actually work? Do the clubs argue it out? Is there a big debate? Does someone stand up and make a speech that carries the room? Or is it all done on phones afterwards? What actually happens? Well, it used to be that there'd be uh, a lot of people would come into London the night before. So there'd often be dinners with little groups, threes or fours would get together the night before. Again, as I say, the chairman would try and take the temperature. So they would try and avoid any major conflicts and, and uh, you know, but often there were contentious issues that were going to come down to a close vote. And it would be the case of having to uh, make speeches on the day on the floor. And certainly, as I say, in, in my time, there were quite a few heated meetings, but we were able to, to get there. It's always easy to do that when the financial numbers are going up and up as they did with the TV revenue in our time. So people can always look at that greater good. We haven't really reached that period yet. The Premier League is going into a decline. And that's when I think it's going to get very, very nasty. You say that, but I, I think they're actually got some, they've got some good news on the horizon uh, very soon, I think. I think they're about to announce an absolutely blockbuster US TV deal, sure. which I think will be, good, will be good for Richard Masters. I think, it'll be, I think it will bolster yeah. the collective again. And, and, and it also makes me think that you're, you're onto something when you say that maybe Hoffman and Masters could have weathered this. I really do. As I say, I mean, in business in general, you've got to have a break, break down to have a breakthrough. And I think this was starting to be a great little partnership for what I could see, but it was, it was going to take time. It always does. And having gone through the tortuous process of finding Richard to get that job and Gary for that position as well, to, you know, after what's 18 months for it to go, I think is, is very sad. You're right. The US deal will, um, will be a, a great one to announce. And I think that gives the momentum to go forward. And after the Super League, there was some strength back in the Premier League administration as well. So I didn't see this coming, to be honest. I was a bit surprised it was uh, it, it's come about. You mentioned the the search, and the last one was tortuous. It was tortuous for for, for Richard Masters, and it, it wasn't much better for finding a new chair. I mean, the, the interim um, was it Claudia Arney did it for 
you know, best part of two years. So it's going to be tough. Now, now what tends to happen in these situations? Does a, does a committee get formed? Is there a committee kind of semi-formed already? Well, yeah, I think uh, Bruce Buck led the last uh, committee and I'll be surprised if he wants to do it again. I don't know because he didn't really have a lot of luck last time. So maybe that has to be a more balanced committee, I think, in terms of how that's selected. I think every headhunter in the world has gone out looking for people. So, you know, it's going to be a difficult one to see how they're going to find somebody that's going to take it on. But we'll find somebody, I'm sure. I think in our last segment, uh, Simon Johnson, who, who's, who's, you know, obviously done FA, bit of Premier League and is at the RFL now. I, I couldn't, I think his last answer might have been an application for the job. So, so Keith, I'm not going to ask you to, to do the same unless you want to. But what are we looking for? You know, paint the ideal candidate. Well, I think it needs a much higher public profile than Gary gave it. I think you've got to be that front person. And I think you've got to take the pressure off the executive and Richard to a degree and be that face of the Premier League and be able to to, to front those things out and also to be able to stand up in a room with the uh, the bigger clubs. And it's that's got to be somebody, I think, first of all, the personality is the crucial thing there and the public presence, the media savvy and the experience to do it. I think you've got to be financially really savvy in this position. And that's where it's going to be the uh, the key. But it, it's all about personality and presence. I said to the other guys, is it an impossible job? I'm going to twist it slightly for you because you've you've painted a sort of a, a picture of someone. Are we looking for a unicorn? Does, does that person exist? No, it's, it's not a unicorn. A person does exist. And uh, I think maybe perhaps they've been overthinking it before. That person does exist. There are some perfectly good business leaders out there that could do this, provided they understand that they're walking into a situation that changes every day. But you've got to be involved in football in some way to really understand the the whole weird way that football just goes in a split second. And so unless they're coming in from a business that's got a similar sort of trajectory, I think they've got to have some sort of football experience in their background at some stage in some way, because otherwise you just don't understand it until you've, you've been burnt the baptism of fire a few times. Well, there you go. Baptism. We're doing, we're doing the life cycle in, in reverse here. That's a great way to end it, I think. Thanks very much for your time, Keith. Obviously, if you, if you do fancy the job, we, we'll, we'll just we'll package up your answers and, and, and send them to the Premier League HQ. Well, congratulations on uh, breaking the story yesterday and maybe my announcement uh, is the next one. You can break that one as oh, well. There we go. That's what we like. Well, thanks so much, Keith. <laughs> Bye-bye. Cheers, Matt. All the best. Bye. Right, that's it, and thanks to all our guests. Don't forget, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, then head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. And thanks for listening. The Athletic.